Let me tell you today, without the miracle of God's salt in our life, there will be no church. Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. Well, I'm going to preach something a little bit different out of 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19 through 25. You see, Elijah has just been translated and caught up in a whirlwind. And now his follower, Elisha, the first place that he comes to is Jericho. Because when he was on his way, he passed by Jericho and the prophets went out to meet him. And they said, maybe, maybe, he, maybe the Lord just dropped him off somewhere. Maybe he's in a, a mountain place or something. We, we need to go find him. He says, no, he's gone. He's gone. Then we come to the text this morning. Because Elisha is now beginning his ministry by performing a number of miracles. And we read the passage in verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. So Elisha says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there. And said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Now let me just stop there to say that, that what a miracle, what a mighty miracle that a little salt has, has done. Through the anointing and power of God, we need that salt this morning. We need that miracle this morning. Don't let meanness cause you to miss your miracle. When they excavated and found and they saw uh, uh, the city of Jericho, they said that, well, number one, it's one of the most ancient cities of the world. Another observation is that They've excavated the walls, and it was one of the oldest, the oldest city that had fortified walls. And thirdly, it's the water that's there that's so amazing, because the city of Jericho is flowing and teeming, and to this day, modern day, it is known as the city of palms, because of the water that was there, but it wasn't always like that. Before that, there was this period of time that the water is bitter. The water is no good. He says the water is bad. There would be no Jericho had it not been for this miracle. And let me tell you today, without the miracle of God's salt in our life, there will be no church. So this is the part of the passage of scripture that no one preaches on because nobody knows quite what to do with this. And then he went up from there to Bethel as he was getting ready to go up to Bethel. As he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Get on out of here. Get on up the road. 
you bald head, says it twice. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced this curse, just kind of letting them know what's getting ready to happen. That's what prophets do, right? In the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. This is definitely not recommended as bedtime story material to read to your children as you tuck them in. But nevertheless, it is a story that is in the Bible that needs to be heard at some point, right? I mean, if it's in the Bible, it needs to be heard. And if God thought it was important enough to be in the Bible, then perhaps we today need to hear it too. Amen? For the first observation that we read about these two incidents is that Elijah, on both occasions, speaks the word of the Lord. He's speaking forth the word of the Lord. Now, to one group he says, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. What a powerful truth. Just take and cast a little salt in there. And, and from that springing forth a fountain that James talked about in the Bible, that how can we bring forth from the same fountain good water and bitter water and bad water? No, he's talking about the words that we say and what we speak. He's talking about our tongue. That's what James dealt with. So uh, what I say is we need a little salt in this place. Amen? Because Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. I believe as a children of God, we need to spread a little salt. Amen? But don't let meanness rob you and make you miss your miracle. Now, there's some things that I want to clear up right away. For there have been many who have struggled with this passage, including a number of prolific Bible scholars. The German Reformed clergyman uh, Friedrich Wilhelm uh, Krumacher states this. He said, a deadly burst of vengeance upon a troop of wanton youths, a curse pronounced upon them in the name of the Lord. How characteristic of the legal dispensation. But how opposite to all we have said of the character and call of Elisha as a messenger of the kindness and love of God our Savior. So... This old theologian is still, I mean, you know, he went through his life, wrote several books on the, sub, on, on, on the prophets, Elisha and Elijah, and still scratching his head on this passage of Scripture. And yet another scholar points out that the phrase for the words, some youth, or as it says in the King James, the little children, is actually two words, the Hebrew word ne'ar and katan, and for this same Hebrew combination, ne'ar katan, is used to describe a mature rebel named Hadad the Edomite, this mature rebel. He is described with the same words. Likewise, when Solomon takes the throne at about the age of 20, he declares himself a Nayar, Katan. Uh, he and Hadad were not elementary age, little kids, little boys. So at a bare minimum, we can say it's highly unlikely that the people who mocked Elijah were the little children scampering around, small boys, but it is more probable that these were young men, end quote. Well, you know, uh, when you consider, uh, were, they, were they little, little kids, that would, that how unjust that would be? Now, I think that they're missing the point altogether. For you see, what the Bible did not say is that these young men, whatever their age were, killed. 
The Bible didn't say that. That is not in the text. Or they were eaten by these bears. Or, or otherwise they were dispatched by these sheep bears. Nor does it say that these young folks were playing a soccer game. It doesn't say that they were out playing flag football and the bears descended on them and left them in ruins. It doesn't say that. But what the Bible does say is that they had left a place of safety in the confines of the walls of the city or the town and the safety of where they were to go to this place outside of the city and a little closer to the wilderness. Huh. And if you think about it, the fact is that they had left the town, this place of safety, and they were intentional about their gathering, and they were now out of the boundary of the village, close to this wilderness, criticizing and mocking the prophet. And they say to him, just get on down the road, you old bald head. Just get on out of here, baldy. Secondly, they were intentional about their gathering. It wasn't just a chance meeting or a small group, but an organized effort because at least 42 of them, now think about that, had gathered on the outskirts of town to give this old bald guy a proper send-off. But it was one that they would never forget. And now even though that this is a very remote passage and, and hardly ever gets preached on, the subject line or topic is prolifically written all throughout the pages of Scripture, all throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that you should let meanness cause you to miss your miracle. For you see, the greatest miracle that day wasn't a couple of bears mauling and roughing up some kids who were hateful and mean to the prophet. But the greatest miracle is something that was transformational to the city of Jericho and, and delivered it from a uh, obvious destruction. The water was bad and the salt was applied. And to this very day, it is known as a place of healed waters. It is known, I'm preaching you the Bible, but you'll find that in secular information. It is known as the city of palms, Jericho. Because God did a miracle and salt uh, caused a healing, but it was the power of God that intervened and brought a miracle that would forever change. Wouldn't you like to see God do a miracle like that for our hearts and for our spirits? You see, we are born with that spirit, uh, a human spirit, and sometimes maybe you might say some more than others, but you don't know the background other people have gone through and what they're experiencing or what they have experienced. But I'm here to tell you that God can heal you and help you to not be mean. But I'm just telling you, we got too many mean people that call themselves children of God. Listen, there's some dangers of being a mean person. And I, don't, I, I, I tell you, you see, the Bible says much about being critical, about being judgmental, about being mean-spirited, about being hurtful and otherwise causing divisions. The Bible says much about contention. The Bible says much about causing strife. And we put ourselves in a dangerous place when we speak words of death instead of words of life, affirming words of life. We are snared by the words of our mouth at times. A church can be snared by the words of the mouth. And I often pray in my own life, and, and this is so important, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Because I don't want to offend with my tongue. The Bible says if we can get a hold of that, the same as a perfect man. But we offend all in word and deed oftentimes. Oh, I'm, I'm not uh, asking, but in the article, why are Christians so mean? The author Jeremy Meyer, in his unfortunate worldview, I might say, says, and I quote, I will admit I myself can behave pretty badly at times, and many of the Christians I know behave in far worse ways than many of the unbelievers that I know. Most people in our culture believe that Christians are about as trustworthy as a car salesman and a lawyer, end quote. I think the answer to part of this is that we often fail to address the dangers of speaking evil of others. Christians ought to do that. Pastors, preachers, we ought to do that and speak what the Bible says because it does matter. In fact, this very issue is taught about in such a direct way that we would be hard-pressed not to cover it in our preaching. That is, if we preach the Bible. Woo! What does the Bible say? Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, angers, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Titus 3, 2 and 3, Speak evil of no man, but be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. 1 Peter 2 and 1, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Just lay it aside. Psalm 15, 1 through 3, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. Shall I go on? James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges the brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Or how about this, Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. How many of you remember David Wilkerson? He pointed out one time, King David boldly declared, God is the health of my countenance. In Psalm 42 and 11, and he repeats the same. In another psalm, God is the health of my countenance. Woo! Now that'll preach. David's saying something very important. You see, your face is that billboard that you advertise from. And, and, and particularly whatever's going on in the inside. I don't know about you. Some people are very transparent. Some people are not. But I'm telling you, what's going on generally, some people, they have no filter. So whatever's going on in the inside, you can see. But, but, but needless to say, uh, when we talk about countenance, it's not just our facial expression, but our tone of voice and the way we say things, right? For example, when your mind is loaded down with cares of finances or cares of relationships, we have a tendency to show it, right? We look preoccupied. Our brow is furrowed. Some people even might think we look sad. And Wilkerson uh, went on to say, one day I was walking along 52nd Street. One of the, to what is one of uh, the, there are several ministry locations. It says, I was just totally absorbed with church business and probably slouched over. And I came upon a crack house 
where there was a woman who sat on the stoop, smiling from ear to ear, said, I could see she was high on crack. And she watched me approaching, and as I got nearer, she spoke up and said, Mister, it can't be that bad. <laughs> he said, I was floored. I thought, here is this woman high on crack, and here I am, a man of God, and she's smiling and looking good, and I'm all slouched over as if all hope is gone. What a rebuke to me. Ah, now I thank God for His great salvation, for redeeming our souls, our spirit, even our body. But many of us need to get our faces saved. We need a Holy Ghost face lift because our faces are giving the wrong message to the world. Amen. I'm glad that God is the health of our countenance, that He can give us a spiritual makeover, both on the outside and the inside. Now, Jesus gave us the solution to the problem of a critical spirit. Hurtful words, He said in Matthew 12, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so Ephesians 4 and 29, He says, Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is the good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. There's something about maintaining that spring of joy, that joy well. Isaiah called it the joy of our salvation. There's something intricately tied with your salvation experience to joy. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. When you're in the presence of God, that joy well will begin to spring. And there's no sweeter water there's no sweeter fragrance than being in the presence of God with the joy of the Lord and it begins to ooze out the love of God that, that people see in you and through you. And I say God baptizes us once again with love. And that's a miracle. Scripture can teach us a, a lot about sustaining our joy. First, we can sustain joy by spending more time with the source of joy. Because Galatians chapter 5 talks about that the Holy Spirit gives us joy. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Second, when our attitude begins to shift and we get realigned to receiving joy, the byproduct of joy is gratitude. It will follow. And thirdly, when we begin then to choose gratitude, we choose to stop traveling down the negative road of meanness and hatefulness and evil speaking. We, we don't follow the negative train of thought. That's one that you want to unhook from right there, friend. And we can choose to focus both on God's attributes and the positive attributes that we see in others rather than the shortcomings that we see in others. You say it was no big deal. You know, it's just a... Get out of here, baldy. That was nothing but a spirit of meanness. And yet we excuse that time and time again. I have tried to practice not to be a mean person. I'm not saying that I, I haven't had my days and struggles like we all have. But you just didn't hear us sitting around the dinner table talking about people. I know problems need to be discussed, and we do that. But we were never malicious to anyone. We always prayed and loved people. 
and tried our best to see them get right and get into the kingdom. You don't have to be a mean person. And if you are, may God throw a little, uh, a little salt in. Now, I know that that may have went over just like a lead balloon. But if it happens to apply to you today, you know, I don't want a good bear mall. But I tell you what, the devil, he, he works people over time and time again. More damage is done in the context and confines of the church and the house of God because something mean-spirited was said and someone else overheard it and someone else said something. Come on now. I don't want to be on the side of the road saying, hey, look at old bald head coming down the road. Just get on down the road, baldy. You say, well, that's, that's pretty, but it wasn't humorous when they started getting beat up by the bears. They got a good once over. Give no place to the devil. That's what the Bible says. Don't miss your miracle. So let's go back to the first of Elisha's miracles. Notice this situation. Uh, we've got it good. The city is pleasant, but the water is bad. The ground is barren. So he says, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. He went out to the source of the water, cast the salt in, and says, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed this water. He has the same power to say, I can heal this water here, now, today. I can heal. I have healed this water. And from it there shall be no more death. No more barrenness coming forth. If I ever reach that point in my life that I cannot offend and I won't offend in the words that I say and speak concerning someone, oh, I say, pour it on me, Lord. Let me be just like that. So the water remains healed to this day. And to this very day, it is the city of Palms. That's why Paul says in Colossians 4 and 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. I'm not telling you something I'm just making up along the way. I'm telling you the Bible says that your speech should be with grace and seasoned with salt. Always, this phrase, it means it should be a, an attitude that we maintain, the attitude of graciousness. It also, this, this phrase, it has the idea of the Lord's influence upon our heart. It's reflection of our life, because we know that the tongue has incredible power. A kind word can build you up. It's just as choice silver. book of James says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A fire among our members. That's what this tongue is, that it defies the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire of hell. For what the Lord would want to do in my heart, in my life, I say, pour on the salt. Jesus, again, teaching, a tree is known by its fruit. And a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth the good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A person who says kind things has a kind heart. Come on, this is the good stuff now, right? A person who says negative things has a negative heart. A person who says mean things has a mean heart. Is that fair? Because what's inside comes out. 
It may come out when we're angry. It may come out when we're upset. It may come out all the time. But the source is what is in our heart. We need to have grace in our heart. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Would the Lord approve of some of our speech? To speak in the name of Jesus, grace has to be in our heart. No one accuses, lies, gossips, runs other people down with grace. We're not letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We should strive to make this our goal. Whatever we say in word or deed, say it in the name of the Lord. Just this word of warning when we commit to this, we're going to be tested. You will have people cut you off as you drive down the road. You will have a cantankerous person serve you your meal. I'm not talking about your wife or your spouse, your husband. But you will have a hard time. But just ask yourself, can I do what I do? Can I say what I say in Jesus' name? yelling at another driver, screaming at our kids, saying unkind things to our spouse. Can I do that in Jesus' name? You know why those guys got in trouble? It wasn't because, it's because there's a, an immutable principle that is in place. That when you walk in the way of the wicked, when you stand in the way of the sinner, when you sit in the seat of the scornful, that's, it's a progression, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. You've read that passage. that We're not going to be blessed at all if we walk, stand, sit. But instead... Our delight is in the name of the Lord, and in it, His law doth we meditate day and night. So the four tests, is it true? Salt was used for preserving and purifying. Is it true? Is it seasoned? Speak the truth in love. But before we repeat a statement, make sure it is true. Amen. Just because someone said it doesn't make it true. People can get hurt by our jumping to conclusion. Is it complete? It's easy to get the half of the story, right? What is said may be true, but it may not be complete. You only got one side of it, friend. I'm sorry. I don't I know what you may have heard, but you've only got one side of it. Is this helping anyone? Oh, my. Before we say something, we should make sure we get all the story. For the Bible says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. By the way, if you want to find out where that's at, Proverbs 18 and 3. Don't jump to conclusion. Is it necessary? What may be true? What may be complete, it may not be necessary. 
Paul said, speak the truth in love. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If someone is going through a hard time and struggling, you know what we should do? You say, you are welcome in this place. You are loved in this place. And I just want to say, I want to pat you on the back because I feel like when we come into the house of God, people feel loved. More than anything else, they feel accepted. They feel loved. And I hope that you feel that. And if you don't, this morning, well, I'm preaching to the rest of us. I'm closing. Is it kind? Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Finally, a few suggestions for speaking with grace. Determine with God's help today, I will control my words. Our words, what we say, tell so much about us. Do our words build others up or tear them down? Do they show people the love of Christ or drive them away from the Lord? You will never have a ministry if you don't have a healing because meanness will make you miss your miracle. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.